We're talking today to artist Doug Coffin from his studio in Abiquiu, New Mexico. Welcome. Well, it's always a pleasure to be in Abiquiu and to share it with people. So you are a Native American artist. Do you call yourself that? Well, an artist who uh, is half Native American, but I have a strong connection throughout uh, my whole life with the Native American world, the art world, that I'm inspired by and happy to be part of. How does that come out in your work? Well, growing up at what is now Haskell Indian Nations University in Lawrence, Kansas, I was exposed and surrounded by the Native culture for my first day and uh, going to the art schools at the University of Kansas with a double major jewelry and sculpture and then on to Cranbrook Academy of Art in Michigan. I had the education, but then you get an education and how do you use it? And that was a big question for many people. Some people knew what they were going to do with it and other people never did. But I thought, well, I'm inspired by power objects and things from uh, Native America and uh, tribal cultures around the world. And so I researched uh, books, and certain things appealed to me, totem poles, shields, bow and breastplates of the warriors. And with a seven years of art school uh, and contemporary thinking, I thought my interest is to draw from these Native American power objects, spiritual objects, and do a contemporary take on them based on what I think I know. What other kinds of art traditions do you feel influenced your work? Well, I try, I've done projects in Africa and Italy and Canada, different places, Hawaii, and I try to keep that door open where I have an approach, but I'm willing to let other things influence maybe what I'm working on and the, the final results. In other words, like in Italy, you picked up, I mean, talk about nations of art, and, and in Africa, you picked up, like, influences from those traditions? Yeah, Africa especially, you know. Everybody who's gone there, so you just feel life or presence of things, uh, the earth in a different way. And I was open to that. The gentleman I did the, this big project for outside of Nairobi was a Hindu, and so I studied the tantric art, science, religion of his people, and symbols and things like that. Symbols uh, are universal, but they're interpreted in different ways, and in different tribal ways, and so uh, my wife and I were in Paris this time last year. We went to that new Bikoi uh, Bronley Museum of Tribal Arts from around the world, and that was my favorite museum that I saw in all of Europe, with this grouping of all these tribal things from around the world and you can sense a different for me different sense of power and intent than uh you know uh, the other museums had with what they were representing when i always wonder like tribal objects in museums are out of context how do they do they speak to you even though i mean a lot of those objects are are things that had a use, had a place inside of a inside of a world. They weren't made for their own sake. Exactly, they were they real. They were real. They had a real purpose, and they they had meaning. Maybe we don't understand those maybe meanings. Maybe we do to a certain point, but you acknowledge that uh, yeah, these these were had a real purpose in people's lives. And uh, I mean, there's some great artwork out there. I mean, Banksy and, and different people are making some really powerful social 
statements and has nothing to do with tribalism or any sacred things. He's just putting things in front of people's faces that are, in today's society, are really wonderful statements. I try to live in my time, but uh, like I say, I go back and inspired by these things. Uh, other people are inspired by what's happening, uh, you know, yesterday or today. Talk about the use of, I mean, for example, you say you were inspired by totem poles, and there's a lot of, I'm looking at, at you know, works right now that are very tall, pole-like. I mean, that, that one one in front of me looks kind of like, almost like a cactus. How do you take those symbols or those things that also had a purpose and had a meaning and make them your own and still I mean do you feel like you're keeping those meanings uh well I'm I'm inspired by the meanings and to make them my own that's why I went to art schools you know just to have uh, my own voice discover techniques and creative whatever so I have the, the the tools to interpret my vision and being inspired by, by the totem poles I mean I thought if there's one signature statement I could make as an artist it would be contemporary totem pieces which are very vertical and if you were from that culture you would look at a totem pole and you could see you could interpret the language that is there through the symbols, and you'd know a lot about the people who lived in the house that the totems were in front of. I've got a project now that I'm trying to do in steel eight 30-foot pieces. I have a 30-foot piece uh, by the Drury Hotel in Santa Fe now, and that's just one of eight, but I'm trying to get that for people to sense the vibration of power, maybe through shapes and colors, and it would take all eight of these to happen, and I've got a friend, uh, Paul Rainbird, who's helping me kind of promote the idea that they would end up someplace, hopefully in Santa Fe, maybe uh, back in the Kansas City area, close to where I was born in Lawrence there. But, you know, that's my statement, is uh, if I could just do one thing, I I do many things, but if I could only do one thing, it would be contemporary totem interpretations. Where do totem poles originate from? Uh, The... Ones most people think of uh, from the northwest coast, the Vancouver area, Alaska, that part of the world. And some of them were up to 100 feet tall. And again, I mean, being at that museum in Paris last year at this time, uh, one of the first pieces there you see is one of these northwest totems. And uh, like in New York, the Rockefeller wing at the Metropolitan Museum, they have one represented there. And you look in... Uh, books, travel books, or magazines, whatever, and it features the, if you come to the city, these are museums, and quite often uh, you see uh, these Native American totems uh, in their collections, and they're pretty awe-inspiring. You've also done work, for example, the water protectors, people at Standing Rock, given them designs. What's your connection to contemporary Native American culture, which is many times really in survival mode. The big picture is we're all in survival mode, and the Native Americans in this particular situation, Standing Rock, the water protectors, has become a focal point, but it's gotten worldwide support and attention in in many ways, something that people should have always been aware of, uh, respected. Uh, I had the opportunity to do a couple T-shirt designs and they are being promoted. It's just my contribution to 
something that's important for everybody and uh, specifically the natives who are at the forefront with their voices trying to be heard. You grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, basically in a Native American boarding school? It was Haskell Institute in those days. In the 60s, it became Haskell Junior College. Now it's Haskell Indian Nations University. And it's been a continuous form of Native education for a neighborhood of 130 years now. My dad was a coach there, football, basketball, and track. And so the day I was released from the hospital, I went to the Indian school there where we had our house. And uh, for the first 18 years of my life, lived there at the Indian school. And a lot of the students from around the country, who some had never been off the reservations before, would come there to uh, get a version of education. It was mostly uh, skill jobs and not college, pre-college classes, but uh, they learned how to do masonry work, weld, housing, painting, different construction things. And then my dad was a good coach. He had uh, some of the best Native teams ever to go through that school, and that really was a positive influence on many, many young uh, Native people to give them a feeling of uh, accomplishment and teamwork and understand they weren't alone in the Native world, and and, and it drew a lot of respect. And uh, that Billy Mills, who won the uh, 10,000 meters in the Tokyo Olympics, he was a babysitter for my brother and I. Uh, my dad would hire him for a dollar an hour to take care of us. Billy's still recognized in the world as a, a leader in the Native world promoting you know, healthy lifestyles and through running and things like that. But uh, it was a very unique little community, and uh, especially looking back on it, seeing how unique it was. But a lot of nice people there, and, and I have many good memories from that uh, existence at the Indian school. Did you get introduced to art there? Well, yes and no. I mean, this was the 50s, and America wasn't much into the art scene at all. But I was became the paper boy, and I'd go into all the the buildings, the cafeterias, the dormitories, and almost every building had these murals that were painted from Indian scenes. And a lot of the artists had come from the Dorothy Dunn School of uh, Indian Art. Alan Hauser being one of those people, and the first sculpture I ever saw was a a large Italian marble piece he'd done as a memorial to the Indians who'd gone to the Indian school and had been killed in World War II and as the first piece of sculpture I ever saw as a, as a kid. And it had a very profound uh, and lasting effect on me. And so that was my introduction to the art world, I guess. How'd you decide to become an artist? Well, at 17, I had never been to a gallery or a museum in my life, but uh, I was somehow I was just drawn to it. And I went up to the University of Kansas and said I wanted to be an art major, not knowing what that meant. I guess I must have had a sense of relating to that kind of world, work, lifestyle. And then I saw what some of the graduate students were doing there because they had a real, real excellent fine arts school there at the University of Kansas, and they still do. And so I saw some of the, the work the graduate students were doing, and I thought, man, if I can train myself learn the techniques, uh, that is really exciting, the possibilities. And so there with the double major drew in sculpture uh, and applying myself and having the door continue to open as to what's really possible and then starting to go to galleries and museums. I thought, well, this is what I want to do. Tell us a little bit about the upcoming show at True West Gallery. Well, 
they have a new space there for contemporary work. Uh, I had the opportunity to have the the front room there, and I haven't done a real show, uh, one man show in like nine years. Uh, Going to do some new, fresh, hopefully exciting work, and I want to invite everybody to see what I've been up to if they're interested. Do you want to talk about some of the pieces in the show? Yeah, I've got. Some, I'm going to have some models that scale to be 30 feet tall, and I've done some fairly large paintings, uh, seven foot by seven foot, six foot by six foot, and then some very small eight inch by eight inch ones that are the theme of ceremonial sun and moon. And I did these four round paintings on pre-stretched round canvases called ceremonial clips because we just had that one that happened uh, about a month or so ago that was pretty impressive, and so. This is how I responded, was putting uh, these paintings on that I think people can relate to how I interpreted uh, that phenomena. Ceremonial sun and moon, tell us more about this work and your thinking that goes into it. To me, uh, it's the sun and moon kind of represent male and female energy in in the cosmos. And a lot of my sculptures uh, have symbols dealing with suns and moons and that kind of energy. People in Europe somehow, I think most Americans think uh, the sun is the male energy, the uh, moon is the female energy, but uh, some European countries, Germany being one of them, it's just the opposite of how they interpret the suns and the moons. But anyway, uh, variations of that has been my theme for a number of years. Some of it's more, you know, overt, other it's uh, more subtle and has to be interpreted to really find those elements in uh, some of the works. But that's a theme you can wrestle with for your whole life as an artist. What's that like? I think for those of us who are more verbal people, you know, you're working in a visual language. You're not working in a verbal language. We can sit here and talk about it, but you're doing something which is fundamentally visual. And wrestling with it your whole life. Is there any way you can describe that process to us? Well, in a, in a way, it's a gift if you have that vision. If you know what you want to do with your life and go down that path and you work at it, educate yourself, however, other people's ideas, cultures, finding those connections, then going down that path, you get to use your energy in a pretty directed manner. And you never know how far that path leads or what you're going to end up with, but it's it's never dull. What is the inspiration for you of the surroundings that you live in here in Abiquiu? I came to New Mexico for the first time with my parents in 1955, and then back in uh, 1968, uh, Canyon Road in Santa Fe, and I just had a strong connection to the sensibilities of how people live their life and the nature that's around this part of the, the country, the world. And uh, I was just drawn to it. And being able to live on this mesa up in Abiquiu with my wife, Karen, I can't think of a, you know, if I had the choice of doing anything in the world, any place, I'm kind of in the poor man's way getting to have my choice of how I want to live my life uh, any place in the world and it's this mesa here in Abiquiu is my idea of paradise and it's peaceful very peaceful quiet the stress is not an element too much uh, in the way I get to live my life up here so therefore I get to use my energy in a way that's 
mostly creative. I don't have to use my energy dealing with the sirens going by and being distracted and uh, the other things that some people enjoy about city life. I uh, just get to really concentrate all my energies into being in the studio here and then, uh, or just looking at the beautiful natural things that Abiquiu in northern New Mexico provide for people who want to be in tune with that. Doug Coffin, thanks so much for being with us. Well, it's fun. Come to my show at True West, October 6th. Thank you.